0: Sean Nelson is the founder and CEO of Lovesac, repeatedly recognized as the fastest-growing furniture brand in the U.S. for over a decade. Lovesac is publicly traded on NASDAQ and is projected to exceed a billion dollars in annual sales over the next few years, with more than 270 Loves branded retail locations. From humble beginnings, Sean founded Lovesac in 1998 making sacks by hand for neighbors and friends while in college. In 2005, Sean won a million dollar investment by Richard Branson on his prime time hit reality TV show, The Rebel Billionaire, and was named acting president of Virgin Worldwide for a time. Sean's recent book, Let Me Save You 25 Years, celebrates Love Sacks' colorful history and the many, quote, mistakes, miracles, and lessons learned along the way. Today, Sean and I get to sit down and talk about this brand new book release, and he shares with me some of his favorite stories behind the mistakes, the miracles, and lessons in the book. If you've ever wished you could sit down with a successful CEO of a publicly traded company for an hour and learn the most important lessons they've picked up along the way, then I really think you're going to enjoy today's episode. John, I'm so excited to have you back on the podcast today. It's been a few years since we last talked. And the last time we talked, we just went through your whole entrepreneurial journey and you've hit this new milestone where you came out with a book. So I'm really excited to talk about what's inside of the book and some of the lessons that you're sharing in there. But first, I'm just curious, why a book? Like, Because you Mm -hmm. don't have enough things to do with your time.
1: Yeah, thanks. It's great to be back with you and uh, I love everything you represent, Karen. Yeah, the book has been a lot of fun. The Love Sack Story is a saga. The book is called Let Me Save You 25 Years, not just because I wrote a short version of the story. You don't have to spend hours reading it. It's actually pretty succinct, but also it's packed with lessons. The title is Mistakes, Miracles, and lessons from the Love Sack story. It's just been a lot of fun to share it. That's my goal is just to, is to share. I feel like I've had so many crazy experiences building this company from nothing to a billion and every up and down and craziness in between that it, I would be remiss if I didn't share some of those personal stories and, and faith building stories and tough stories and ways to hopefully give back and be useful to others.
0: That's so Awesome. So was it something you always wanted to do or was this kind of a more recent in the last couple of years? And also how long did it take you? Because I've heard that book, write start to finish a book is a big project.
1: Yeah. It was harder than I thought it would be just to get it all done. The writing of it took me about a year, but the publishing and all of the Work that goes into getting a finished product is pretty challenging. I've wanted to write this story for many years as this saga unfolded and then woke up this year celebrating Love Sack's 25th anniversary, realized if I don't do this now, there, there may not be another window that feels so appropriate to put something out because because I'm still building. We're still building it. We may go another 25. And so just took advantage of that milestone and glad we did.
0: That's Awesome. So you just got back to, from working with, or maybe you were just hanging out with your mentor, Richard Branson. And for anyone who's not familiar with why you have a relationship with him, do you want to just give a little bit of backstory and then talk about why you guys were recently hanging out?
1: I, I just got back hanging out with Richard Branson on his private Island called Necker Island down in the British Virgin Islands. And it was really special to reconnect. I hadn't been back in 18 years since I won a million dollars on TV, wow. having won Richard Branson's reality TV show. That was a cool experience. He's been a, a great mentor of mine in business. It was a lot of fun.
0: That's so awesome. So what did you guys do there? What do two yeah. like billionaire entrepreneurs do when they hang out? Do you just talk uh, business the whole time?
1: Yeah, first of all, only one of us is a billionaire and it's not this guy. But no, it was a lot of fun. I I was actually there with a group of entrepreneurs who were learning and mentoring each other. It's called the Principled Business Leaders Summit. And it's pretty cool businesses that are purpose-driven and principle-driven. Comparing notes, Branson, of course, is there. He lives there. It was fun to recap. I I talk about this in the book. Let me save you 25 years. There's this moment 18 years ago when I had just won a million dollars on Fox Network. Mm-hmm. At the right time. And the final episode was filmed on Necker Island. And I got to then just hang out with Richard. We had been traveling the globe for two months filming each episode. And it was a cool show going from the UK to Africa, Morocco, Tanzania, Japan, Hong Kong, back to the UK, back to Miami, Necker, each episode leaving someone behind when they failed the business challenge or this stunt death-defying Branson kind of challenge, whatever the case may be. And anyway, I won. And we're laying on the roof of the great house on Necker talking about life. And it was just this private moment with me and Richard and and Tiffany got to be there, my wife, who got to come down and and celebrate my winning. I didn't know. They let her kind of jump out of the bushes and surprise me in the final episode. So we're all laying on the roof, yeah, looking at the stars. And we got talking about faith and religion and our real life with the filming done now and everything, just a real conversation.
0: Yeah.
1: And I remember Richard asking me about my faith and I got the chance to teach my first discussion on the roof of, of Necker Island, so to speak, and share what I believe about the gospel. And he was interested and I asked him what he believes. And he said in his British accent, I believe we make our own luck. Hmm. And I really reacted poorly. Now, I, I didn't say anything, but in my mind, I reacted poorly in a sense that it was felt dismissive to me. Here I am talking about God and faith and, and expressing gratitude, obviously, for this amazing blessing. And at first I dismissed luck. It felt so dismissive to me. And over the years, I write about this in the book. So I have a chapter in the book called Make Your Own Luck because mm-hmm. I very much believe in it today. And I, and I talk about it in the book. And I talk about, for me, once you experience, it's a bit like Satan, right? Once you know that Satan's real, it's then easier to obviously have faith in God in a weird way, because how can you have one without the other, right? And right. And I don't mean to get technical with it, but um, once you experience terrible luck, uh, you, you know, you can't make it up. You certainly don't want to blame God yeah. as a person of faith. And so then you have to then to some degree chalk the bad luck up, just where it's like where something not only bad happens, but it's also just the worst timing. And there is this other thing, like how could it be anything but bad luck? Yeah. And so if you're going to believe in bad luck, how can you not believe in good luck? And then I get to, okay, how about this idea? This is, and this is now the gospel according to Sean. But I don't believe personally that God is some magician. I think that our Heavenly Father understands physics quite well Mm -hmm. and the laws of the universe and, and how to utilize those to create worlds without number. And hurtling asteroids across the galaxy or through the universe can create all sorts of ricochets, events, seismic events, volcanic events. And I don't think that all of them are necessarily precise and don't need to be. The beauty of this world is humans build houses and there's rectangles. God doesn't build in rectangles. There's so much randomness. There's so many collisions, so many fragments from these asteroids ricocheting off each other. And so I very much believe in luck in the sense that it's set into motion, just like humans. All the terrible things that Mm -hmm. happen in the world, we're ricocheting off each other. Terrible People do terrible things to each other. These are children of God, living out God's plan on earth, but that's part of the randomness and the plan that I think God very much did set in motion intentionally to allow for that sort of good luck and bad luck and action that ultimately not only refines us, each in our various ways that can't necessarily be explained, but drives the whole plan forward in some cosmic way that is I think as a person of faith, clear to see unfold before us. So anyway, my testimony as it were of luck evolved over time and I very much believe in it, but in in that way, if that makes any sense.
0: Yeah. I'm curious when you say that you believe you make your own luck, like where does that, where does it intersect in your opinion, your actions versus like God's intention for you?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. I wish I knew the answer. So the phrase, make your own luck, which I have very much come to champion as one of my little sean in the book, is really just a a rephrasing of that old adage, luck is where opportunity meets preparation, right? For instance, I, I wrote this book to elevate my platform so that I can Tell other stories in the future as maybe some kind of influencer, as maybe some kind of thought leader, who knows, right? This is a step in the process. I never became an influencer, but some other th- great things came of it that I won't get into. My point is we make our own luck by doing things. Like we wouldn't do these things if we didn't have faith that it just might work. But you're never gonna get lucky. I'm never gonna elevate my platform from this book or or podcast, et cetera, if I don't write the book in the first place. I think that in that way we make our own luck. People will say, Oh man, he got so and then he got discovered here. Like I want a million dollars on TV. I want (laughs) to what's luckier than that at the same time. And I mentioned this in the book as well. It just so happens that I had prepared my whole life for that trip, a trip around the world where I ended up using my music skills in one episode. I had I performed, I was on stage. I was able to speak. I don't speak one of the African languages, but I was able to slow down my presentation to one of these African villages because I was so used to presenting to people in Asia from my mission in Taiwan. where Mm -hmm. you So I learned how to just work with foreigners. I won that. So all of these little challenges I won to win that show ultimately could be traced back to all the preparation I had done my whole life I've come full circle. I believe we we do make our own luck. I believe that luck is a part of this cosmic craziness that we're thrust into. And I'm okay with that. It's not to diminish God at all. God is the one who set it all in motion.
0: Yeah, I love that. And even to qualify you to be on that show, you had to be in those early first days of Love Sack where you decided to make your own version of a beanbag. And if you hadn't done even those very first steps, then you probably wouldn't have been chosen for the show,
1: right? Of course. course. So then we get to the parable of the talents and we get to the abilities that I was blessed with, whatever those are. I didn't bury them. I may not have exploited them all as as well as I should have so far in my life, but I certainly didn't bury them. And it comes back to our agency. You asked, where then does God's plan overlap with all of this? I think that- Mm -hmm. At the root of it is agency, a human yeah. person's choice to wake up, to get to work, to go do things.
0: Yes. Yeah.
1: that something good may come of it, not knowing how could I have possibly
0: <laughs>
1: predicted that I would someday win a million dollars on a reality TV show? It never. It would never would have, been. even if I was making things up, that would have not been on the list of wild things that might happen. And by the way, that's just one, I, I choose it because it's so wild, but there are. That's why the book is called "Mistakes, Miracles, and Lessons." There are so many miracles that have unfolded in love, sex story could, that I share in the book um, that I ascribe to be miracles. But to your point, probably would have never occurred had I not been engaged in the first place, leveraging my personal agency mm-hmm. to leverage the talents that I was given to do things, productive things, useful things. Right. And now I get to employ 1,500 people at Love Sack right now. And I get to do crazy things like hanging out with Branson on his island or whatever. What a blessing. And, I, and I'm not saying it to brag. I'm saying this is all, I think, a product of that agency that God gave us to ricochet off each other, good and bad, terrible and beautiful, and create uh, a life out of it.
0: Yeah. I really believe in that too. I, I like to think of God as the architect and we're the builder. He architects a plan for us. and Then it's up to us to build out whatever, you yeah, know, that's so good. put in our path. But I do want to ask you about the miracles part, because that's something that we really believe in and we love and talk about a lot here in the whole ethos of Mint Arrow. So if you could share a miracle story or two, I would love that.
1: Oh, sure. And forgive me for using lovesack, but those are the ones on my mind, given you got me talking about the book. Yeah. But some of the craziest things like, and some of them I share in the book and, and some I don't, but this one, a lot of people from Utah would be familiar with the original lovesack store. We opened in the gateway mall in 2001, yep. right there in downtown Salt Lake city. It was just during the winter Olympics, got a lot of exposure for that reason. And that was where we got really started going as the company you'd recognize today. And we had opened this thing and it was ripping. And who knew, like people would buy our giant beanbag. We were just trying to pay the rent.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And I'm like a month in and, and I've got people wanting to buy franchise locations in, in other states and got an attorney and we're working through that. And I was so terrified to reveal to these wannabe franchisees that we were just on the cusp of signing that we we had to franchise to them under a different name. And the name Lovesack. Look, like it or hate it. It is a sticky name. And they walked through the door on day 10. Oh my gosh, I saw our business cranking. Who do we talk to about a franchise? And I ran outside on the bridge to answer my phone Love Sack Corporation.
0: <laughs>
1: oh, yeah. What location are you? And they're excited to buy a franchise, not knowing it was literally just me and my cousin working on the floor of the sh- store. Mm-hmm. Yet we didn't have the trademark for Love Sack. Turns out we had registered the name Love Sack in Utah way back in 1998, and that was fine as a business registered in Utah, but the national trademark, turns out, I had discovered somewhere in between that and the first store opening that it had been owned by some betting company out of the Midwest since 1978 and renewed every year as a national trademark. And they had never used it and they wouldn't pick up the phone. We couldn't reach them. So we opened the one store, we were fine. And then when it came to franchising, we had to reveal that. So anyway... Year two thousand one, so our first month in business is cranking. People want to buy franchise. So as the year rolled over, I told the attorneys, "Hey, let's check one more time before we have to choose this other name of stupid. I can't remember what it would be." Mm-hmm. And after that new year rolled over, right after Christmas, our first holiday, the trademark registration that had been there since nineteen seventy eight went unrenewed. We wow. Two hundred and fifty bucks. Wow. And, and, and I think the love sack trademark today is worth tens of millions, you know, yeah. hundreds of millions. I don't know, given our size and scale now. So geez, how do you account for that?
0: That's really incredible. And from someone who has trademarked multiple things, I do understand how totally unlikely that is mm-hmm. and miraculous that is. So what a cool miracle story.
1: Yeah. The book's full of them. And I'm so grateful thankful every day for, and not just the big ones or really clever ones like that, but all the small miracles, of course, I think miracles are a choice. You can ascribe them to luck. So here's right. where luck is dangerous, right? That We were yeah. just talking about luck at the same time I choose to, so we could call that one luck.
0: Mm-hmm. I ch-
1: I choose to call it a miracle based on my faith, right? I'm sure it was some kind of little miracle. And it was a little, it was a big miracle by Love, Sex, Standards. It was dinky, insignificant, stupid miracle by the standards of the universe. But either way, it's been, I think, ultimately, not good for the world. This company we've been able to build and good for a lot of people who get to work here. And I'm very proud of that.
0: Tell me about lessons. I'm selfishly particularly interested in lessons about business that have been hard to learn I think as an entrepreneur, like it, it, it sounds so sexy and it sounds like fun and, oh, you get to pick all your vacation days and you never have to ask for time off and you're the boss of everything. And it's awesome until you're the boss and you have to do hard things. Like personally, I think, and I'm like super honest compared to you, but I think the absolute worst thing about being a business owner is having to let people go. I just, I want to die every time we have to, even when it's the right thing to do. But there I'm sure have been all kinds of other things that you've had to do that are really hard. Have you just become like weathered to the point where it's gets not hard at a certain point or how have you learned to weather those storms? Because I know you've been through a lot more than, than someone like me, who's just had a very small team supporting me over the years.
1: Might be harder. You're it's, you're so connected to these people and there's no layers of management to hide behind or whatever. That's true. So I, I talk about this. And that's the purpose of the book. I'm donating all net proceeds to the future business leaders of America. I'm not taking any money for this. I, I just wanted to that's give okay. back and share this miraculous story that I think is, is really special. So I share in these 25 micro chapters, I share 25 what I call Shaunisms, mm-hmm. And it's also what my podcast is wrapped around by the same name, let me save you 25 years, these 25 Shaunisms and, and others to come, these lessons. And so to answer your question in my way, in, in that book, I talk about business is a contact sport. Mm. People get hurt. Yeah. You know, people get hurt in contact sports. Yeah. And sometimes it's of their own making. Sometimes it's of your making, maybe hopefully not intentional, but we make yeah. so a lot of people got hurt when Love Sack had to completely start over reorganization. Chapter 11 in 2006, embarrassing, terrible. I got hurt. My friends got hurt some people financially got really damaged
0: mm-hmm.
1: and it is a lot of sleep lost, a lot of guilt, a lot of shame, a lot of embarrassment. That's a form of pain and torture in, in and of yeah. itself. I remember in one of those darkest moments, I was telling my parents how I felt and asking them for advice on what I should do next. Cause you know, maybe I should just walk away and, and get out of this mess I've created. And that happened many times, these thoughts of quitting, of course, over and over again. Mm -hmm. But I remember in this one particular moment, she said, and she's a very down to earth person. My parents were not really business people or anything like that. They're good, sturdy people. And she said, you can either quit or keep going. And uh, hey, with all the complexity around decisions or hiring or firing or what have you, it really does come down to that. You either quit or abdicate some duty or hide from something Mm -hmm. or you keep going. And if it's the right thing for, you got to remember that I think even God, and I I don't mean to be sacrilegious, but I think even God from certain perspectives has been witnessed allowing for all kinds of tough things, terrible things sometimes to happen in order to accomplish in order to accomplish uh, important outcomes. And if your business, for instance, Corinne, has a great purpose and it does and has a a mission to be fulfilled, and by the way, mouths to feed and jobs to support, you would be doing it a huge disservice and doing all those other people involved a huge disservice by abdicating the responsibility of making hard decisions. That's why business is a contact sport. There are many sports you could go play. Yeah. That business is a contact sport. So understand that and accept it and roll with it. I don't get the chance to share my religious views on every podcast, so it's great. But how I really feel is this is why we're obviously encouraged to live with the spirit, to wake up and do what it takes to get the spirit with us and say our prayers and read the scriptures. And because the million decisions you have to make, most of them not, religious decisions or, or faith bases, just daily yeah. decisions can be made better. If we have the spirit with us, I believe that and that's a tall ask, but yeah. that is the opportunity we have.
0: I believe that too. I really think that when I'm spiritually plugged in, I make way better decisions and things come clearly to me. And then I feel a lot more confidence because it's not just me that made the decision. I feel like I'm Partnering with God, and He's telling me what to do, and then I feel confident that even if it's uncomfortable, it's the right thing to do. Yeah. So I agree with you completely on that. And
1: by the way, because it's been 25 years already, I've lived long enough now to see many things come full circle. Like I got a chance to send this book to everyone, almost whoever has been involved at LoveSack, at least as some kind of partner, as past past key employees, and some of them were damaged people from the business or from me or or whatever. And it's been so cool to see even in many cases, how their lives maybe have turned out better for their exiting, whether they chose to or not, or were asked to or not, whatever, I think so many, this is going to sound really insensitive, but so many terrible things that we experience. I think God's perspective is a little bit like any parent's perspective. I've watched my kids just as you have, I'm sure lose their mind their life is going to end tantrum on the floor over well I don't know their their yeah. toy broke or their sibling took their whatever yeah and I don't mean to be insensitive I love them and we'll give them a hug but but in reality I'm not even though they feel in their heart like they might die in their irrational brain so to speak as a parent looking on I they clearly will be fine yes yeah. we'll pass and and it may not even be a big deal at all and sometimes it's even it's even laughable. Now, I don't mean to be insensitive, but perhaps God's perspective is so elevated and separated from ours right? that even some of our toughest stuff from his perspective is is a blink of an eye. Again, it's tough because we wrangle with tough stuff. And I don't mean to, again, dismiss anyone's true heartache or sickness, pain, trouble. But I think if we could adopt Heavenly father's perspective, how could it be any less than my perspective as a 40 something looking at my two, three, four, five-year-old? Yeah. It must be greater. It must be greater than that even. Yeah, And so I think it all comes back to perspective.
0: I love that answer. I'm curious when you went through some of love Sack's biggest, scaling opportunities, or when you saw big jumps, what were some of the things that you feel like you learned that I would imagine you probably wrote into your book, which I'm really excited to read. And I love the title too. I just have to add that, that let me save you 25 years. It just is so attention grabbing. Like who wouldn't want that? Oh, I had a fight
1: for that. The publishers told me it was too long.
0: <laughs> oh, I love it. I really love the title. But as far as like those, I feel like we're in that area right now. And I feel like a lot of people that I talk to are going to do or die, like either grow or quit kind of a place. So were there times that you decided to scale instead of just stay comfortable? And what did you learn during those times?
1: Absolutely. And first of all, a bit to build on what I was saying earlier, sometimes I, I, I get entrepreneurs or business leaders who asked me this question, like, how do you make these decisions, this or that decision? And and it's so hard and, and there's no answer. There's no right answer. There's just what you choose and, and you don't know how it's going to turn out. That's why they pay you the big bucks. Mm-hmm. Now, whether you're actually getting paid big bucks or not, you're the CEO of your business, Corinne. And that's why they pay you the big bucks. You have that opportunity and responsibility to make those decisions. And they don't always, they're not always the right ones, but you have a lot better shot if you can get the spirit with you, number one. And sometimes there is no solid answer from the spirit, but it can help you in the act of making decisions. And how did I feel as I navigated those situations? I felt scared and alone. It can be very lonely to make decisions that don't have any obvious right answer and it's not even a choice of like good or bad or big or small it's just a choice yeah a door, door a and door b and they could lead to very different places i love in the podcast let me save you 25 years where we go even deeper into these chaunisms. i had a guest on a few weeks ago called dan pink he's one of my favorite authors of our time he's mm-hmm. he's he's written a lot of books that you would have probably heard of in the business realm. And he's just a fantastic author and and thought leader. And I loved his advice. If it's a tie, let it go to the runner. Mm -hmm. Err on the side of doing the thing. Setting the spirit aside for one second. This goes to a lot of research done on decision-making and on strategy and how in most cases we tend to overestimate the downside and underestimate the upside of most things. We are fear-based animals. It's a matter of staying alive. You have to have a sense of fear, but otherwise you can get damaged and injured. And we make decisions often with a bias toward fear. And so I love that advice. If you're ever waffling, do the bolder thing. And now if it's obvious, if it's okay, hey, 70, 30, like this is a bad idea. Probably don't do it, but I thought that was really great wisdom from Damping.
0: I really like that. Is there anything when you look back at your experience with Love, Zach, that you're like, I would have done that differently and that Uh you maybe wrote about in the book? Maybe that's too oversimplified, but is there something that comes to mind where you're like, I I wish I had a do-over with that?
1: Yes, I share many of those. That's why it's mistakes, miracles, and lessons. Yeah. And most of the lessons come from those mistakes, and I would have done things differently. And uh, on the other hand, I recently interviewed a guest on my podcast that said, I wouldn't do anything differently, or I wouldn't have become the person I became. Yeah. So we could argue both sides of that. But from a, yeah, from a business standpoint, and tactical standpoint, like, I'll give you an example back to that first Love Sack store in 2001 at the Gateway Mall.
0: Yeah.
1: We immediately had so much success. We ran off, besides franchising, we took the money, ran off to California, opened the next store, and the next one, and the next one. And that was cool because we were doing stuff and it was exciting and the company was growing. But on the other hand, it was not every location was that great. Not every location was certainly as good as that first one. And in hindsight, had I taken the time instead to, and I was a martyr. I was working so hard and I wanted to be seen as working so hard. And I was willing to work all the hours and make all the drives and long distances and work through the night and whatever. And that was inspiring to some, and it was motivating. It was more motivating than me just sitting back and counting money. But on the other hand, if I had been smarter, and this is why I wrote the book, for others to learn from some of these mistakes, I would have paid someone to work in that first location. I would have waited a little longer, Mm. maybe stood in the corner and watched and really figured out why is this working? Obviously, we tried to replicate what we had in those stores in California, but It's a lot more complex than that. It's not just paint. It's not just posters. It's not just a a mall or a size of a store. There are a thousand factors that go into something working. You've, Corinne, had success growing your following. And people probably ask you all the time for all kinds of tips on social media. And and in reality, there's just, it's not one thing. It's a thousand things. Mm -hmm. And so had I taken a little more time to really at least figure out More of those things and been a little more scientific about it, a little more thoughtful before I went out and tried to just replicate it or scale it. I think we would have done a lot better. And frankly, I think we could have built LoveSack to where it is in 15 years instead of 25, honestly, had I, or maybe sooner than that, had I done a lot of things differently. So that's just one example.
0: Yeah, that's a great example. And I think you can take that away with whatever you're doing to just sometimes slow down and observe and be thoughtful, like you said. So of all the lessons that you've learned, what's maybe the biggest one that you can apply as a family man, because that is a huge part of who you are. What have you learned as a CEO, very seasoned CEO at this point about making time and space also for the things that really matter?
1: Yeah. Once again, I'll reference something that we spoke of the last time we chatted, but I can't help, but it's a chapter in the book. The Seanism, it's called everything else is dust. Mm -hmm. It's an inscription on this ring that I wear with the six of us, my family, as these six diamonds. It's easy to get caught up in not just the money or the scaling or the growth or the business or just whatever it is you're doing. It's incredibly easy to get caught up in it and you need to be caught up in it. You need to be, as they say, obsessed about it so that you can have the energy to make things happen. On the other side, though, none of it matters. It's dust. And I don't mean to, how can I say that as the CEO of a public company, I'd probably get booted by investors if I express that. And here I am expressing it openly, but I have been open about it in the sense that, okay, so, so it's dust. So then don't show up to work, just spend all your, no, we are working people. In fact, I have a number of friends who've made a ton of money and retired in their forties. And it, it, they've confided in me at different times as they've watched me still doing my thing that... They feel, and they've made way more money than me personally, but they feel a little bit jealous in the sense that I've had them tell me some of them, my kids don't see me work. They ride their bike a lot. They do all these kind of cool things with their friends and, and their family. They travel mm-hmm. a lot, but their kids don't see them working and they worry about what that's going, you know, how that's going to affect them because like you may get incredibly lucky and make a ton of money, but in, in reality, 99.9% of people, they, gotta, they just got to work. They yeah. have to just survive. That is the human condition. That is part of this mess that we were hurtled into that we spoke of earlier. So what makes you so special? Just because you got a bunch of money, let's say. So my what's my point? My point is you, back to this is what they pay you the big bucks for. You are the CEO of your life. The decisions are tough every day. If I was just a family man, I would never travel. Mm-hmm. On the other hand... I'm not just a family man. I'm the CEO of a company. I need to travel. I need to appear here. I need to keep this going. And and by the way, thousands of others are relying on me not to suck at my job. So what's the answer? I don't have one other than get the spirit with you, make the best decisions you can every day, be brutally honest with yourself. Like we know when we're justified, it's one thing to have to travel. It's another thing to take an extra couple of days to golf because I'm here and you know and and listen, one of my chapters is play along the way. There's nothing wrong with playing, but like we know when we're really making an effort to put our family first and the things that actually aren't dust first. And we know when we're I call it dodging. And I have a morning mantra, I read myself. It's my little routine every morning and self-talk, whatever. And I and I say all kinds of things to myself. I am a priesthood leader and different things to remind myself who I am and what I'm doing. And I could read you through it. But one of the things I say is I never dodge. And
0: what mm-hmm. that means
1: to me is it's easy to, it's bedtime. I could help, or I could be really busy because I'm a busy CEO mm-hmm. and my wife's tired and she's worked hard. And so am I dodging or am I really that busy? Yeah. And, and sometimes it could be one and sometimes it could be another, but be honest with yourself. So that's the best advice I can give you is you're paid the big bucks as the CEO of your life to make hard decisions and they're going to be hard. And that's why CEOs get paid a lot. Buckle up, life's hard, work through these decisions that you can do it a lot better if you can get a little bit of the spirit with you every day. Yeah,
0: Amen. Okay, last question. If there's one message that you want the people listening to this podcast episode to remember, what do you want that one message to be?
1: I would have to go with that inscription in my ring everything else is dust. If you really believe that it can guide so much of what we do and what we believe. The final chapter in my book is pair top ambition with infinite patience. So I'm not an unambitious person, but when it comes down to it, even our biggest, boldest, most audacious plans and goals are just dust compared to what really matters. And I try hard not to forget that. And I probably mess up a little bit every day, but the best I can do.
0: I love that. Sean, where can people find your book? Where can they find your podcast? Where can they follow along with you and your entrepreneurial journey?
1: Thank you. Yeah. So the book just launched, let me save you 25 years. You can find it anywhere, Amazon, anywhere books are sold at lovesack stores as well, of course. The podcast by the same name. Let me save you twenty five years. Anywhere you listen to podcasts, I'm really proud of it. We've had some crazy guests. Had Gronk on there last week. Snowboarder Sean White, Sarah Blakely of Spanx fame. Love her. Uh, So many great conversations, and it's cool because it's not an interview podcast. It like you, we talk. We go right into talking about principles. We unpack these Seanisms in great detail. So it's not just another life story podcast. I'm proud of that. I think we're getting really cool content. And otherwise, if you ever need a couch, we make the best ones. So all of these ways, love to stay in touch with you. I'm easy to find on Instagram. I DM with friends and fans and, and I'm happy to stay in touch with anyone that way.
0: Awesome. And just to note too, I still get weekly DMs about, do you still love your love sack sectional? And the answer is always unequivocally. Yes, we love it. It's the best. You're built welcome. for
1: families. It's built for real lives, real people. They're not the best. expensive, but as you'll find Corinne with your growing family, I have pieces. It's, I'm so proud. This one I'm sitting on right now. This is a 16 year old sectional seat. Wow. It's On its 10th set of covers. It's the ones out in our living room are mated with brand new ones and our stealth tag. so it's, it really is a, a product I'm proud of. And at first we were just trying to put a couch in a box and ship it, but mm-hmm. it's something much more than that. And I'm proud of that.
0: Yeah, we love it. Thanks again for your time today. This has been so awesome.
1: Great to be with you. appreciate it.
0: Thanks so much for listening to Mint Arrow Messages. We're so grateful that you spent time with us today. Make sure you go follow us at Corinne Stoko or at Mint Arrow Messages on Instagram. And then if you have a second and you love the show, I would love it so much if you'd leave a rating or a review on Apple Podcasts. That's the only way people can find out about us if they haven't heard about us before. So just go tap the stars, leave a rating or a review. If you have a second, we would appreciate it so much.